This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kira, and a very happy new year to you all from Running Together. If you have any New Year's resolutions running related, please send me a message on Running Together Facebook page if you want a public mention of them. Perhaps it will help to keep you focused on them. Anyone familiar with this show knows I am keen on running, keen on highlighting the importance of running in a wide range of sports. Some sports involve lots of running, football and rugby being two standouts. However, what about a sport that involves only about 10 strides? My guest today is an excellent distance runner, but that's not what he focuses on. Height is more important than distance for him. Hamish Kerr, welcome to Running Together. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Thank you. Great to have you on. Can I take you back to August 31st, 2023 in Zurich, Switzerland, can you tell me about that day, what you achieved, and a bit about the background to that performance? Yeah, it was a it was a very special day. I guess probably need to start with the background just to fully kind of contextualise it. But yeah, so Zurich was the first Diamond League after World Champs, and at World Champs, I came in feeling pretty hot. I felt like I was I was in good form. You know, I was I was training as as well as I ever had, and and I was my world ranking. It was comfortably in the top 12, which was what they took for the final. And in the qualifying, I had an especially bad day and uh, jumped. I actually can't even remember what it was now. Uh, it's about, I think it was sort of low 20s, so it was probably about 222 and ultimately failed to make the final, which was, yeah, it was obviously pretty horrible emotionally and, and mentally and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, I kind of got out of Budapest as quick as I could, uh, which was... Probably lucky I did actually. I didn't watch the final. I didn't really go to the track after that. Just went on holiday for a week with my girlfriend who thankfully was over there with me. And we had that holiday planned, I suppose. Like initially it was it was all going to go ahead, but I was supposed to be continuing to compete afterwards. Yeah. Um, and once kind of worlds happened, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep competing. I was sort of like, well, is there any more I can kind of get out of this European stint or am I ready to get home and, and sort of right the wrongs and, and sort of go back to the, the drawing board, I guess, in terms of, of where I was at. But thankfully, a combination of people, including my girlfriend, kind of said, well, you know, you're here in two months' time, you're going to be back in, in off-season training and you're going to yeah. be missing Europe and missing your mates and, and all that because obviously, you know, I've got some really good friends on the circuit as well. And so mm-hmm. I think Thankfully, they told me to kind of pick my nuts up, I guess, and, and just get on with it. So, so yeah, I went to Zurich, and honestly, that morning, like I'd barely trained that whole week when I was on holiday. I was in Croatia, so I was just lying on the beach. and Beautiful place. And just, yeah, drinking nice nice drinks and, and eating nice food, I suppose, and, and all the rest of the things you The things you couldn't do a week or two before the pull champs, I suppose. Yeah, it probably would have looked a little bit dodgy if I'd just jumped away for a, a week holiday just for world champs, but, you know, maybe I needed it. Yeah, so then obviously shot to Zurich. Didn't have a coach there, so was teed up with one of my really good Swiss mates who he was actually retiring at that comp, um, and his his coach was there. It was super low-key. You know, he, he was there, my manager was there, and my girlfriend was there sort of supporting me, and I didn't know if I had the energy. 
we do kind of a little shake out the the day before usually um, where you kind of go down to the track and you check it out and just go for a bit of a jog and do some bounces onto the mat and all the rest of it. And I did barely anything. I just kind of went to the track, just chatted to some some people who were there and, and kind of mucked around and was like, eh, I'm just going to go home and just chill. So No expectations then? Yeah, you? exactly. No expectations. And even the morning of, I was like, I'm just, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for this, but just see what happens. Got into the comp. It was, was good fun. I felt like my first couple jumps were good. I actually changed my run-up as well. That was one of the big things from Worlds was that when you go off a shorter run-up, it feels more comfortable, but ultimately you're not going to jump as high. And yeah. earlier in the season, I'd been having issues with my longer run-up, so I just went back to my short run-up. And pretty much straight away, I was jumping really high. And that's all well and good, but you know, when the pressure comes on, you need that longer run-up. And so yeah. I didn't go on it um, at World Champs. So I was off my short one. Uh, and then at Zurich, I, I put it out. I didn't even know what it was. I just paced it out which for high jumps, not really that good. You kind of need to be to the centimetre. And I was just feeling it. I was just enjoying it. Just kept jumping and, and all the other guys started to kind of drop off, I suppose, yeah. and, and start missing heights. And I was kind of, oh, this is, this is a bit weird, but all right. <laughs> I suppose they're all tired because they just did the final last week. And so I was sort of a bit more rested. But no, and then I had one jump at what I thought was 2.30. And that was, that was a good jump. It was a bit sloppy. But it was it was kind of like yeah cool the bar stayed on, um, and then the bar went up and then suddenly it was two thirty three and the way that the progressions had gone it was like two twenty eight, what I thought was two thirty and then two thirty three but that doesn't make sense because usually it goes up in lesser progressions so yeah. it goes three centimeters to two centimeters mm-hmm. rather than two centimeters to three centimeters so I yeah, asked yeah. one of the boys it's like what are we going to thirty three like surely we're going thirty two mm. and he's like well no the last jump was thirty one. So obviously we got ah. 33, and so here, here I was thinking I'd done a dusty <laughs> jump over 30, and I'd, mm. I'd equaled my PB outdoors. Yeah. yeah, so that was quite funny. It kind of just showed where I was at. I was just enjoying the jumping. I wasn't really focused on the height. And then it was actually crazy because the 1500 was just about to start just as I was going to go to attempt 233. It was actually insane. They they had a false start in the 15, which <laughs> never happens. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that at any meet. But it was crazy because, so they false started, and some stop oil protesters jumped onto the... Oh yeah, I remember onto that, the track, that, yeah. and and obviously they they weren't expecting a false start either, and so there was these stop oil protesters on the track, but there was no race going on. Mm. They thought they were going to jump, you know, jump in front of the fifteen, and and then suddenly there was nothing on, which is just I don't know, purely coincidence, I guess. But there was just so much stuff going on. They obviously mm. they kind of pinned the stop oil guys down, but they brought them past the high jump. So I was kind of sitting there waiting. My time was just about to start, and there was these. Yeah. Guys getting dragged in front of in front of me, and the whole sort of stadium was going crazy. And then I was on, and it was it was two thirty three, which would have been an Olympic qualifier, would have been my highest jump outdoors. Uh, it would have been a technically a national record, but now that indoors is kind of counted as as everything, yeah. it's not technically a national record. But you know, my mind was free, and off I went and popped over it. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, fantastic! Thank you very much. And how did you feel? Afterwards, well, it was pretty funny because my girlfriend was actually she was flying back to New Zealand the, day, the next day um, mm-hmm. from Amsterdam. But she had an overnight train like that night to get there, and she told me before my two thirty, I went over like to talk my talk to my coach, and she's standing at my coach, and she's like, "Can you hurry up? Like my train is in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like I need to go." She got she didn't think I was going to last that long, so oh, like she was goodness. just like. Yeah, yeah, all good. Like a 10 p.m. train's going to be fine. And, you know, it's like 9.30 and I'm attempting a national record and whatever. Oh and she's like, oh. So it was actually quite funny. Like I did my jump. I went over to the crowd. I gave her a hug and then she left and I didn't see her for like a month. But no, I think 
a big part of me after that jump was obviously disappointed that I didn't do it the week before. Um, that would have gotten me a medal at Worlds. But at the same time, it just goes to show for me, I have to sort of remind myself of this time and time again is, you know, even when you're feeling bad and even when kind of that, you know, the mindset doesn't feel like it's there, more often than not, you're not that far away from a massive performance. Yeah. And I guess that's the that's the game, isn't it? It's, it's how do you bring that performance out when you need it? Yeah, definitely. Congratulations again. Thank you. <laughs> Fast forward a few weeks and you are at Loburn Domain in North Canterbury. <laughs> The other side of the world to Zurich and a very, very different event. So how did you become part of the David Lee fan club? <laughs> yeah, well, this is the reason I'm on the pod, isn't it? Because obviously <laughs> I'm a, a mad runner from way back. When I was a kid getting into the sport, I was actually more interested in the distant stuff. Um, and I think that that was kind of because, you know, I was a pretty skinny, tall kind of light kind of guy I played a bit of rugby but sort of got injured a wee bit too much and you know I've always really enjoyed individual sports and so my kind of I suppose my athletic career started in cross-country running so I used to compete for ACA and I did a little bit of summer stuff with Roscoe South which is a club up in Auckland uh, where I grew up and I used to jump pretty high I think I had like the club record or something but for me like it wasn't fatiguing uh, so therefore I didn't feel like I kind of like done anything and so yeah. it was it was kind of always very much focused on like the 8 and the 15 or you know cross country in the winter and then high jump was kind of just this thing I did on the side uh, which was you know so backward looking back at it because I would probably come you know I was terrible at running like I was 12th at the the centre meets in, in the weekend and, and, that, and then I'd go into the high jump and come you know top 3 most other days so it was it was kind of just like this thing where even when I go to Mount Smart nowadays, like I've just got massive PTSD of like running down the back straight and just this, <laughs> you know, big gust of wind hitting me. And obviously, you know, being a taller guy, I can't really tuck in and it's just misery really. But but at the same time, yeah, I love running um, and I've kind of always just been really connected to that sort of side mm. of it. And so I suppose, yeah, fast forwarding to these days, yeah, I actually went to Road Relays last year when it was in Bottle Lake and kind of just checked it out. I've got some really good mates who, who still do running and Ollie Chignall and Ben Musson and a few of those kind of other mm. guys. I really liked the format last year. I thought it was cool. Obviously, you know, there's a bit of contention with the fact that Takeda Akira didn't get put on. But I think, you know, from a punter like me who probably wouldn't have gone and watched Takeda Akira just because, you know, I couldn't go down and, and sit there and have a coffee and watch everybody come past exactly. me. That really, like, tied me into it a wee bit. And so I saw it. You know, I caught up with the boys after that event and just kind of saw what that community was doing. And this year, Ben Musson decided to enter a social team. And he's like, there's a 6K leg that you can do if you want. And so <laughs> I just had a moment of weakness or something. But I, I ended, obviously ended up agreeing to it and, and just jumped in. And then I suppose, yeah, in terms of the team name, I'm actually in the same age as David Lee. And he was a like crazy good runner when we were younger, like, he was the kind of guy who would do like three lap cross countries and he'd lap everybody on the second lap. And it was oh just, goodness. I just, you know, have vivid memories of just getting absolutely spanked by him. So, <laughs> so it's pretty cool to see him obviously back in the sport now. But um, at the same time, we just thought it'd be pretty funny to, to have our team name as that. And you're now talking to the, the C grade national champion in the road race. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, congratulations there. Yeah. It's a big awesome performance. performance. <laughs> big achievement. <laughs> and you talk about wind there. Actually, I think your league. Oh, you did have some wind, didn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't speak for the other legs, but it was very, very windy. And I think, you know, there's nothing more humbling than, you know, coming back from a, a professional campaign over in Europe and, you know, doing some of those those big meets and 
kicking it with the big boys and then coming back to Lowburn, having a massive headwind and having sort of, you know, a bunch of 60 plus year old male and female <laughs> runners just kind of cruise past you going, very good, you're almost there. And me yeah. just absolutely sucking in for the birthday. It was just, yeah. Very humbling, but also very fun at the same time. Oh, well done you for, for being involved in that. Great stuff. So you are New Zealand's best and most successful ever high jumper. One of the best in the world, the current Commonwealth Games gold medalist, a bronze in the most recent indoor world champs, the area record holder for indoors high jump, among other accolades and achievements. High jump hasn't traditionally been a very popular sport in New Zealand. In contrast... Kiwi runners have demonstrated plenty of success over many decades. So what actually, apart from what you mentioned before, what actually got you into high jumping in the first place? And did you ever consider the running career option? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I kind of just claim that I'm the kid who never grew up. You know, everyone loves high jump at primary school. It's, It's always, you know, at school athletics day, it's like the one that, that people love trying out and if someone's pretty good at it, they'll get behind them and, and really cheer them on. And I suppose that kind of was where I started, just trying out at my at my school and then at my local athletics club, um, just kind of playing around. But I think I think that probably the big reason I got into high jumping, it's become my career, I guess, is that I never really saw it as a career. And so I suppose that's probably why I've gotten into high jump, not so much running. You know, I come from a family of academics. I come from, you know, my dad's a doctor, my older sister's now a doctor and I've got, you know, a lawyer, little sister and it's they're all doing these, you know, crazy things. You're a bit um, of an outlier then. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> bit of an outlier. And yeah, so I guess like when I kind of came through the sport, I just did it because I loved it. It was a good hobby. Kept me out of trouble. Uh, got me days off school, which was which was extra <laughs> extra good. And so I, when I finished high school, I gave it away. I didn't kind of pursue athletics because I went to uni. Um, I did an economics degree. That was kind of my passion for a while. And and I guess through that journey of uni, I had a couple opportunities to kind of speak about my journey in sport because I'd I'd done pretty good just before I went to uni. I think I jumped 214 to win senior nationals as an 18-year-old. So pretty impressive. But um, at the same time, not really impressive enough for me personally to think that I could kind of continue on. I mean, to be world-class, you have to be jumping 230, which – is 16 centimetres higher than what I was jumping, which seemed like just, like I wasn't prepared to put in the work to get those 16 centimetres. So off yeah. I went to uni and in the time at uni, just reflecting on my story and, and talking to people, it made me realise how much I missed it. But it also made me realise that there's so many people um, in our sport who, I don't want to say have a lot of regrets, but at the same time, the classic story of like, oh, I used to be a sprinter, I could have made it, but... Mm. But whatever, you know, what. but I went to uni or I found partying or, you know, there's just all these different things that, that kind of take people away from the sport. And unfortunately in our sport, you know, if you want to make it, you have to really commit. And that's that's a massive kind of time and energy commitment. And so a lot of people can only sort of do it for a very small window of their life. And so when I got to the end of uni, so I took about 18 months off the sport and then for sort of for the last half of my degree, I was I was still competing. But I just realised I had a window of opportunity and, mm. and I just needed to take it. And so, yeah, I guess that's sort of how I've become professional or kind of, you know, fully into it was that I just had an opportunity and I just knew that I yeah. had to take it. Otherwise, you know, the rest of my life will, will always be there. But, you know, I want to be sitting sitting in my wheelchair as, as an 80-year-old just kind of looking out and being like, yeah, I did it, instead of kind of being like, damn, I wish I'd had. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Well done, you. And was there a particular moment where you went I can be really really good at this 
Um, so I never won a national title until year 13. So for me, I can remember all my PBs from when I jumped, you know, 166 in year nine. Then I went 178 and then I went yeah. 181. And, you know, I remember all those PBs and that kind of feeling of of achieving something that I hadn't done for the first time was was just so inspiring to me. And so I, I'd always been very intrinsically motivated in the sense of like, I didn't think I was good at the sport, but I was really happy I was getting better. And I mean, this this sounds real conceited and it's not supposed to, but like probably the first time I realized that I was a really good high jumper was when I was sitting in Tokyo and I'd just made the final and I was, I'd made the final, um, it was before the final and I was in Tokyo, the, in the village, there was obviously, you know, all the apartment buildings that we all lived in and then there was kind of like an underground uh, like car parking network, which is obviously when they convert the the village into apartments afterwards. That's where everyone sort yeah. of was parking. And we, uh, like a lot of the teams, had like kind of little gym or like um, ice bath setups down there. And I was doing my sort of like my pre comp shakeout before the final, and I was just jogging around this apartment kind of car park complex under, mm-hmm. underground. And that was kind of when it actually struck me that it was like, man, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to watch the Olympic men's Olympic high jump final tomorrow. Because no. and I had been watching, you know, I'd watched every one for the last, mm-hmm. you know, four or five Olympics. So it was like, damn, I'm not going to be able to watch tomorrow because I'm, I'm going to be in it. And <laughs> someone, so someone records it quick. Yeah, exactly. And so it was like, you know, there was just that that sense of like, shit, like I'm actually here now, and yeah. like it's that's pretty cool. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and you'll be there again. Yeah, so yeah, you'll be there again. <laughs> So while the show is called Running Together, as we all know, running is a series of single leg hop forward <laughs> so in the fundamental sense a high jump just f- forgive me for this a high yeah. jump is a very powerful single leg hop yeah so for this show let's call it jumping together we can do that yeah thank you <laughs> i have noticed that there are several top high jumpers who really capture the imagination and bring a lot of interest to the elite level of the sport we have the italian jumper gianmarco tamberi on the men's side, a very entertaining and expressive guy. On the female side, we have Nicola Oleslagas, the ever-smiling, enthusiastic, journaling jumper from Australia, who I've had the pleasure of watching compete in Sydney. In contrast, most of the runners are not very expressive. What is it like being around other jumpers in a competition? It seems so different from a running race and one where there tends to be a lot of crowd involvement in helping jumpers perform at their best. There's so many layers to this. Um, <laughs> where do you want to start? I think probably the first like place to start is we're out on track for a long time. You know, runners, especially, you know, I, I, I've reflected on this with like a number of my you know fellow athletes, not just high jumpers, but something like sprinting, for example, you're out in the warm-up field, and you do your warm up and you sit in a cool room for, you know, forty minutes or whatever it is, you go out, you get introduced, you don't have a chance to talk to each other then. No. Then you're in your blocks and then, you know, ten, hopefully under ten seconds, but mm. you know, sometimes a bit more or under eleven if you're a female, but you know, that's it's done. And then you go home. And for a lot of the field events, you know, we could be out there for three hours and a lot of that time you're not doing anything. I mean, I could have a three-hour competition and I'd do 12 jumps, which, 
your listeners are probably better mathematicians than I am, but you know, that's not a lot of jumps. That's a lot of time sort of sitting down, not doing much. And so mm. I think invariably like you get to know the athletes you're competing against and you get to know, you know, their struggles and, and their passions and, and what gets them going. And you kind of all realize that we're such a small community, especially field events. I mean, running mm. is, it's obviously a global community. You yeah. know, you, everyone speaks running, everyone knows running, everyone, everyone can do that. But for field events, there's such a small portion of people who care about it that actually the vast majority of them are sitting there on the track with you. And mm. so, you know, you can't help but not just like bond together and, and, and do that stuff. And so, you know, when you talk about all these expressive athletes like, like Tim Berry and Oli Slagers, like firstly, that's who they are. You get to see more of it because they're out there for longer. But also like they care about the event so deeply that they want it to succeed as well. That's mm. the thing that I love about Tim Berry. Like, I love competing with him because he just brings himself and he brings like the best version of that. And like, it's just so motivating because like, not only is he cheering for himself and getting the crowd going when he's jumping, when he's out of the competition, like he is still out there, like getting everyone to like cheer for everyone else. Mm. And like, he knows that that helps the community that helps the event and it helps the growth of, of our sport. Yeah. And also I guess like the final layer to that as well is that in running, you're trying to beat, the other runners you know it's it's about who crosses the line the fastest and therefore mm. you have to you have to be in front of the guy next to you yeah. whereas for high jump and other kind of field events like we're just trying to beat an apparatus you know i'm trying to yeah. jump over the bar and then i go and sit down and then someone else comes up and tries to jump over the bar so like i'm not directly competing against that guy if that makes mm. sense like yeah. obviously like the guy who jumps the highest wins but at the end of the day like the bar wins eventually yeah and so you know we kind of almost in like this little community of, of just trying to beat the bus so mm. you know it becomes easy to cheer for for our competitors and and all the other people there yeah absolutely well said i if anyone wants to see probably an example of the most sort of joyful celebration and that is at the end i think of the tokyo olympics the high jump final, do a search on YouTube for Tamberi and Barsham celebration. It's just amazing. Yep. <laughs> you were there, obviously, so you yep. saw it. Yeah, it was burnt yeah. into, my, into my mind, really. It's, yeah. It was yeah, a special moment. Really special. <laughs> so I remember hearing from a lady who has been on this podcast, Bernie Jago, about spending an afternoon with you several years ago down at Napuna Wai. You were not competing that day, so had decided to come along and help out the officials with the high jumping event. I have to say, it's very, very rare to hear of an elite athlete being so generous with their time to help out. Can you tell me why you did this and why you do these things? <laughs> why do I do these things? Uh, this is a very good question. No, well, actually, it's, it's funny. It kind of ties into my Olympic experience a little bit. You know, I've obviously got an inherent love for the sport. Like, I, I love athletics, not just high jump. I love I love the whole sport. And for me, there's nothing better than just going down and seeing your mates compete and just being a part of that whole vibe of, of what's going on at the track. And so, yeah, a couple of years before the Olympics, I mean, I obviously don't compete this time of year. Like, it's it's my off-season. I'm doing all my heavy training at the moment, but yeah. a lot of other people are competing. Mm-hmm. And so not so much now, but, like, it used to be that I'd go down to the track quite a bit and watch watch my mates compete. And so invariably, you know, they always ask like, oh, is there anyone who can help with the, the hurdles or the high jump or whatever? And usually I just put my hand up because I'm a bit of a doing person. Like I'm not really, like I don't love just sitting there and, and kind of just just watching like I want to be a part of it. So yeah. I went pretty hard on it that year. I went down to the tracks at the most weekends and, and helped officiate and I've been, but no, I think that's the thing. It's like, 
there's so many people in our sport who love the sport and have all these ideas and, and great things about how they can, you know, how we can do it better and how we can do this and that. You know, everyone's got an opinion, but it's it's sort of going, okay, well, if you've got one and you really do care, then, like, you know, bring it to the table and, and see if you can make it work. Yeah. Listeners will not be surprised to hear that you are tall. <laughs> I'm guessing 6'5", yeah. right? 6'5". Yeah. Oh, Okay. Most elite distance runners tend to be shorter than average. The typical elite marathon runner would average around 5'7", metric, maybe 170, maybe. What, for want of a better term, natural gifts do you feel a high jumper needs to be exceptional? Obviously height, you know, that's first and foremost, but I think being able to have like a kind of like a technical mind we we're trying to always change our technique like we're always trying to refine it and i think if you've you don't have the coordination or like that kind of drive to make your body work in different ways then then you're not going to really succeed as a field eventer it's very rare that people will come out and have like beautiful technique to begin with and then not have to kind of adjust that as they go so yeah being tall having a good good head other than that probably a good powder weight ratio I think you kind of see those people who sort of just float off the ground and then you've got the people who are sort of a little bit heavier on the ground. Definitely the, the floaters are going to be the high jumpers, mm. but, you know, similar to running, you get those guys who you can't hear their foot strike when they're, when they're running and that that's just shows that they're, you know, really technically sound and kind of very naturally gifted. So that's kind of what mm. you're looking for. But at the same time, like, there's so many different kind of high jumpers. I mean, you've got you've got some of the guys who are only six foot up to kind of guys who are six five, six six like me and... Mm. It's yeah. There's just so many different ways to to kind of solve the problem of jumping high, and you know it's it is quite a quite a diverse range of people. Yeah, yeah. It certainly seems that way to me. So 2024 will be an amazing year for you. What would success look like in September? I want to jump higher than I have. That's first and foremost. Like I jumped 234 and 233 in 2023, which was a really good step in the right direction, but. I think for me, um, jumping 238 to 240 would be, you know, more appropriate for, you know, the level of goals and the level of kind mm-hmm. of expectation I've got on myself. Um, and that's that's very much where we're trying to get to this year is to jump to 38 uh, before the Olympics. And if I can do that, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to jump on the podium as well yeah. in Paris. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a funny one. Like there's there's definitely a lot of steps that need to kind of – come into fruition and, and all the rest of it before them, but that's the ultimate goal and mm. it's something that I, I truly believe I can get to. Fantastic. I wish you the very best for that. So I can imagine some people thinking that the life of a professional athlete is truly enviable. What are some aspects of your life that people may find surprising and not always glamorous? Um, yeah, it's a very weird life. So like this time of year, I'm not competing. I'm training like an absolute dog. So it's like, you know, every morning. So I kind of do single sessions. I'll do kind of a double day once a week, once every two weeks. But for the most part, I train essentially all morning, whether that be gym, track, jumping, just any of those kind of modalities. Yeah, it would just be like absolutely sending it. And then I go home, I eat, and then I go to bed and I just lie in bed for the rest of the day. And like sometimes I'll have meetings, but for the most part, it's just it's just trying to recover. It's mm. just like literally putting the body on ice. I'm um, not trying to expend too much energy and it's just the monotony of that. It's just so boring. 
You literally every single day is the exact same. And so you do that for all your off-season and then you go overseas and it's just airports. It's just airport after hotel airport rooms. after airport after hotel room. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I think last year I, I took something like 60 flights oh, wow. and I spent eight months in hotel rooms and vast majority of that is away from friends, mm-hmm. family, girlfriend. A lot of it's by yourself. A lot of it's solo. A lot of it's you're not having a lot of people to talk to. Uh, and so it's it's just kind of managing that. But then also, like, that's the stressful time. The monotony and the routine of at the moment is, doesn't really require much brain work. Um, yeah. And then when you go over there, it's just how do I get myself to be absolutely 100% mm. three times a week or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's, <laughs> it's good fun, though. <laughs> it's all going to be worth it, though, I'm sure. Finally, a runner, high jumper, or coach you greatly admire? So many of them. But I want to say Sam Tanner uh, in terms of a runner just because I've got to know him quite a lot on the circuit the last few mm. years, and he's just a breath of fresh air. He's, he's just like a little child. Um, <laughs> he's got so much energy. He does. Right. And high jumpers? High jumper would be a guy called Tobias Poit, and then coach would have to be my current coach, James Sandlins, because he's a legend. Fantastic. Hamish, it's been a pleasure having you share your athletics journey on Running Together today. We wish you every success in 2024 and beyond. And just so listeners can lock in a date to watch you compete at Paris. Sometime in the first week of August. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can, we can post those. So thanks so much for sharing your time and for all that you do in the sport of athletics. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure.